but there's a lot of power in a space where everyone's voice feels valued. Lights up on a park bench. Lights up on a desk. Lights up. A podcast by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. Hi, I'm Kenya White. I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm playing the role of Cash. Hi, I'm Savannah Taito. I'm from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'll be playing the role of Lucille. Lights up on Dusty's, a small country gas station. Standing behind the counter is Lucille. Cash enters and approaches the counter. <gasps> Hi there. You must be lost. The name is Cash. I didn't ask for your name. I'm not lost, just passing through. I could guess that much. And why's that? Do I have to say it? I wouldn't mind hearing it. You don't fit in here, you know. Not much like the other people who frequent this town, who live here. Barely like anyone who even just passes through. But it's daylight, so I guess you'll be fine. I still don't follow. Then you must be slow. I'm not slow. I'm quick on my feet and quick in my mind. I know that much. That much is fact. I've never lost the race and I've never failed a test. Graduated top of my class. And how many people were in your class? Enough for me to top. Can I get you something? Your name? An item. I'd like to know what to call you first. No, thanks. I told you mine. It's only hospitable to do the same. I don't owe you nothing. Didn't say you did. Just want to know your name. Want to know who I'm talking to. You don't need to know who you're talking to. People don't come in here to make friends. Maybe I did. People come in here to get what they need to get, then they get out. That's what people do. Normal people. What's the fun in being normal? It's safe. Doesn't sound like much fun. That sounds like something a dead man would say. Are you a dead man or a man waiting to die? I won't die till my work on this soil is finished. And what's that? I'll tell you. Okay. After you tell me your name. I'm not playing a game with you. Neither am I. Just curious. Just wondering. I told you mine. I said name's Cash. Said it about two seconds after I walked in and now I'm asking you. Lucille. That's a nice name. It's an old woman name. Old women are nice. It was my grandmother's. Do you like it? I don't love it. You can change it. Why would I do something like that? If you're not happy with who you are, you can change it all. Start over. Who said I wasn't happy? We were talking about a name. And I'm talking about life. Can I get you some smokes? I don't smoke. You're more out of place than I thought. You asked me what my work was. Did I? You asked me what my work was after I said that I wasn't going to leave this soil till I was done. Okay. Do you still want to know what it is? My work? I guess, if I asked. <laughs> this. This right here. This is my work. This is my heart and my soul. My everything. A guitar. My guitar. You know how many people I've seen come through with guitars? None like this one. 
Custom made. I'd let you touch it, but it's too precious. For me. I'm saying my whole life is in this case. You got money in there? No. Then it shouldn't be your whole life. I didn't like my name either, you know. No, I don't know, because I don't know you. My name is Byron. My first name. My government name. I don't think that's too bad of a name. I don't hate it, but I it didn't feel right on me once I found out who I was. But Cash? Cash was smooth as butter, like Johnny Cash. <laughs> you listen to Johnny Cash. Honey, I live in the ring of fire. Sure. Don't believe me? You're just... Never mind. What? Nothing. Don't be shy. I'm not shy. Then tell me what you were fixing to say. You're different, is all. I haven't known many people like you, but a few that I've encountered weren't listening to no Johnny Cash. That's too bad. I suppose. What about you? What about me? Do you like Johnny Cash? Not much. Not when I'm on my own. Sometimes when I'm with my folks, they play old things like that, but... Classic. Huh? You say old, I say classic. You're a musician. I am. My ex-boyfriend is a musician. Is he gonna change the world? He barely changes his clothes. I'm gonna change the world with my music. Bold claim. Won't stop till it happens. Uh-huh. I'm on my way to Austin right now. I see. That's where I'm going. Everybody wants to go to Austin. I'm not going to play on the street corner for Trump change. You're going to change the world. You got it. The world needs changing. And you're the man to do it? I think so. Why? Just a feeling. <laughs> That's not enough. For me, it is. All right. Want to come? Where? Austin. With you? Yes. Why would I do that? Why not? You're a stranger. Your name is Lucille. Yes. Not strangers. You can't walk in here for five minutes and expect me to go out of town with you. It's been about ten. What? Ten minutes. Whatever. Don't you get strangers in here all the time? They don't stand and talk for ten minutes without buying nothing. Then I'm anything but a stranger. Sounds like I'm a revolutionary. Hardly. So you'll come? No. What now? I have a job, but what I look like running out on it. I get paid. I'll pay you. With what? Your music. My music can save lives. Your music isn't paying my bills. Come with me to Austin and you won't have no bills to pay. It'll be you and me and my guitar. The rest will follow. <sighs> Do you need something? Something from one of these shelves? Gum. Gum. Chewing gum. I came in here for that. 
get your gum and go. How much? One pack, 50 cents. I can do that. Cash reaches in his pocket and takes out two quarters. Thank you. Just given what I owe. It's about to get dark in about half an hour. Okay. That's just enough time for you to get out of town. Why are you rushing me out? I'm not, but... I think it'd be best. If I left? Yes. The store? The town. Very well, then. I'll get going. Okay. It was nice meeting you. That's good to hear. The offer is still on the table. Goodbye. Cash tips his head and heads to the door, turns back towards Lucille, but says nothing. Do you have a car out there on the pump? Surely it's overflowing by now. I know what you meant. I told you lots of people around here smoke. If you got gas leaking onto the ground and someone's cigarette isn't well put out, you might as well kiss Austin goodbye because we're all going to blow up. I pumped before I came in. I know what gas is capable of. Like I said, I got a brain. Okay, you got a brain. I was just keeping us both safe. It's the guitar. What? And the voice, the interests, the dreams, the goals. What are you talking about? Most of all, more than any of that... It's me. I thought you were heading out. You look at me like an ape in a zoo cage because you don't think no boy of my shade has any business with a guitar playing the kind of music I like. I've just never seen it before. That doesn't mean it's wrong. Didn't say it did. But you look at me like you can't take me serious. Even when I say I'm on this earth to change it, you don't bat your eye. But I bet if some blonde, blue-eyed, baby-faced Blake came in here saying the same thing, you would swoon your way to sleep. I don't swoon for nobody. All I'm saying is I got a goal, and it's to go to Austin and start changing lives with my music. And you can't see past what I am. How do you think that feels? All my life, I've had to deal with people like you. The doubters always pulling me back when I try to run through the finish line of my dreams. I try to be nice to you, invite you along, prove you're wrong, but all you can do is judge me with your eyes. I'm used to it. And what you think of me is your ride in business, but why? You think they're going to strap me up on one of those trees out front if I'm here when the sun goes down? Maybe. But as long as I got my music, as long as I got my art... I have a light to follow, and nobody can take that away. Not you, not nobody. Why don't you play it for me? What? Some of your music. I'm all ears. I got nothing better to do. Give me a show. Change my life. I don't owe you a show. I didn't say nothing about Owen. Where do you come from, anyway? Ought to get going, huh? Cash walks out. Lucille goes back to hunching over the counter. A look comes across her face. She runs to the door of the store, pressing her hand against it as a truck drives away.
lights fade. Hello, welcome back. Season four, lights up, episode five uh, from our humble beginnings. And we are back with another fan favorite returning guest, Chris Eli Black. Thank you so much for joining us yet again. Yes, it's nice to be back home. Aw, <laughs> Where are you joining us from tonight, Chris? Upstate New York. So we got to listen to Kenya White and Savannah Taiedo. So give us a little background on Twang. When did you write it and what inspired this play? I don't remember when I wrote it. Um, I I think I wrote it sometime in 22 or maybe end of 21. At some point, I wrote it in the past. Um, and kind of I wanted to tell a story about acceptance in a way that didn't feel like I was writing a show about acceptance. I just wanted to, I wanted to write a show that had themes about acceptance and equality and these things. Um, but with the kind of mask of just a regular everyday conversation. Um, and I wanted to put it in, in a spot and a voice that I was familiar with. Um, I'm, someone who was raised in Texas. Um, I'm someone who was raised around a lot of different music and I was raised around people who like country music. And, you know, I've joked as much as anyone else about like, black people don't listen to country music. Um, but my grandfather does. My grandfather loves country music. He really loves country music. Um, but, you know, for some reason, even in, in music style and genre, we have this kind of preconceived bias about it. Um, and so I wanted to use that as kind of a conversation starter. One of the things I love that you really established, I felt right off the bat in just something as simple as getting to know someone's name. And there's an intimacy with knowing a name or identifying someone by their name that's not necessarily romantic but there's a that's like the first that first like entry level of intimacy was that an intentional um I'll use the term device that you wanted to you know use with this social interaction as these two people are meeting with meeting each other yeah I would definitely say that was intentional um I I definitely I think that I put a lot of value and I think there's a lot of weight even if we don't realize it on basic interaction, things like that, um, because it shows you care on a different level. You know, how many times do we walk in to go shopping or something and we don't care what the cashier's name is. We just want them to ring us up and get us out as quickly as possible and don't want to stand in the line and all these things. We, we leave. Um, even like something like ordering food where like someone, who, whoever picks up your food, their name is right in front of you. The only reason you might look at it is so when they come, you can say, John, cool, and get your food. And then you close your door on them and they leave. Um, so so having, a, having these characters um, put value in not only their names, but uh, uh, chosen names um, was was important to me because it, it, it has to do with identity and it has to do with uh, both care of others and, and self-care. And you're leading right into the next place we want to go. It's like you eavesdropped on the conversation Christy and I had about Twang. Christy and I had been talking about um, 
Johnny Cash, right? Like one of the classic country singers that a lot of more conservative white people tend to look upon as their hero. But when you actually look into Johnny Cash's past, he was for the poor. He was for the working man. His first wife was not a white woman. You know, that's like not largely known. Um, So it's, I, I love that you picked him too. And you included this Charlie Price pride quote, which I do want to make note of in case it's not used in the recording. Um, it's it's the very first page of the script. And it said, no one had ever told me that whites were supposed to sing one kind of music and blacks another. I sang what I liked in the only voice I had. I just love that you added that because it's something that we're only just now confronting. I think there is one show on Apple TV that's kind of trying to expand country music um, Orville Peck is there representing gay people in country. They have a black artist. Um, they had uh, someone else. They were doing like all the like pop country. They were doing all of these to kind of expand the notion of what country music is. Um, so I just wanted to say that I love that you went again, as we talked about with Hands from the Fire, you go on so many levels. You're an architect. You you build a blueprint. You send out a foundation but there's you've given you know a dramaturg and an actor so many levels to play with in 16 pages um how many drafts do you go through where you're like are you shading things in um or do you kind of have it built and then you you're like I'm ready to go yeah usually especially with a shorter piece like this it I kind of already have it in my head um, and I kind of just sit down like things like this. I like to sit down and just like do it in one sitting. Um, and, and that's mostly because I'm just someone who goes into utter agony when I'm sitting and just staring at a screen. I cannot do it. I can't function. I just become a very just not great person because I'm just like, I cannot do I'm going crazy. Um, so I like to come in. Um, with with some sort of understanding about what I'm doing um, and and kind of a blueprint um, of what the story and what I want the conversation to be and at that point I've I've thought about it while you know taking walks and showers and trying to fall asleep and have taken notes in the notes section of my phone so I have a pretty I have a pretty good idea at that point the characters are pretty um, ready to have a conversation with me uh, about their conversation that they're going to have in the show. So fill us in a little bit on what you've been up to since we last chatted. I, I remember you had said you had written, I think, like 12 to 15 larger pieces, some shorter pieces. And so I imagine, you know, I'm sure there have been characters raising their hands ready to speak and, and have their story written. So what has Chris been up to? Yeah, Chris has been up to to a little bit. Um, I've been doing a lot of writing, a lot of different uh, projects that are really um, exciting. Um, I've, I received a residency in upstate New York at the state university of New York at Oswego, um, where I kind of developed a show with students, um, which they wrote. Um, I, you know, and I just kind of sat back and watched in amazement at these college students just showing how genius they are. And also, um, a part of that was, was teaching or devising performance class. And I also did a playwriting class. Um, I uh, 
have had a couple different uh, fellowships and um, and this opportunities and presentations to get the work out. So it's been it's been a busy time, but the good kind of busy, um, and uh, have have really been able to meet and connect with some really interesting and good people. Um, so it's been exciting. It's been good. Okay, I'm gonna stop you because you're being totally humble. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, I, um. I don't want to say stock, but I definitely pay attention to your social media since we've interviewed you last. And Chris is not even like tooting his own horn here. So I'll do it for you. Um, was it just like a week ago you had a full, was it a stage reading presentation production of your play, The Final Verses of the Prophet and the Wiz that was hosted by Black Broadway men here in New York City? Yeah. That yeah. Why don't you past- talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried to skate past it. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going there. Uh, oh, no way. We weren't going to let you get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, that happened last Friday. Um, last Friday at the time of this recording, May 19th, 2023. Um, and yeah, it, it was an opportunity I received from an initiative with Black Broadway Men and then Black Theater Coalition came in to partner and then open jar studios came into partner and um and yeah it was it really i i think maybe the reason i didn't bring it up is i'm still processing it i'm still kind of digesting it and pinching myself because i don't i'm not sure if i still believe it happened um but but yeah we had a a week of rehearsals and it was amazing director matthew johnson harris who's the associate director of uh parade on broadway um, and he's a genius and a superstar and we had an amazing cast, um, of, of really talented folks and a great team who just came in the room day one, really ready to, you know, have great conversations and, and get to work. And, um, and I always say that, you know, I, I never have the best idea in a room. Um, I come in with this, the blueprint of the script of the, whatever draft it's on. And then, and then the real smart people um, ask questions and give suggestions and feedback and, um, and help me build the house. And, you know, I had a great construction team on this one um, and all the questions every day I was going and doing rewrites and, and revisions on the script. And it was always all good things and tightening up, had a great dramaturg and Khalid Sumner. Um, and, and then, yeah, last Friday, uh, the 19th, we uh we had a presentation of it at Open Jar um and had a lot of great people there and uh you know some things have already come out of it some things are in process coming out of it and so we're we're really excited and and really hopeful but it's been kind of kind of like feeling kind of swept in the hurricane um since then it's it's been a lot going on but but yeah it was really exciting and I'm really uh really grateful that that opportunity somehow found its way um to my to my doorstep and i i know you said you're still processing it um and you kind of went through a, a general overview but if you wouldn't mind uh processing a little more with us because i think we haven't had um any playwright that we've interviewed thus far who has done something like this especially in in such close proximity to their interview um and so many people don't really understand what it takes to get to even where you are with having a New York presentation with creatives. So 
for our listeners, especially playwrights who are wanting to have that experience, I know you're you're kind of in teacher mode. You've been doing a residency. <laughs> I'd love to hear if you could talk about like you, you know, your producing partners got a version of the script. Did you change it? How many times before you got to rehearsal? What was that process like? What was it like working with the dramaturg as a playwright? We haven't really discussed that on the podcast at all. So any things that you want to go through, I think would be, I mean, first of all, I'm just like very interested in being <laughs> like Dana personally is interested, but I think it'd be great to explore this because this is a topic we haven't really done yet. Yeah. I mean, this was an interesting process. One, because, you know, this is a show that got its, you know, presentation in May of 2023. I wrote it last July. Um, I, I, uh, I keep kind of a daily diary, um, which I'm fortunate for um, a lot of the time because I was able to look back when I started writing it and I was like, I think it's all right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I wrote it last July. Um, and I have the great fortune of having really great colleagues just in my life and good friends in my life who are also writers and who I bring stuff to and say, tell me if it's bad. Um, and we read it out loud as if we're doing a presentation of it, just like for, for the four of us and, um, you know, playing different characters and stuff and getting feedback on that. So I already kind of had a dramaturgical hand as I was writing it. So by the time I finished the first draft, I already kind of um, had a certain percentage of polish because I already had eyes on it as I was writing it. Um, and I knew they were going to be honest eyes. But my dramaturg in this process, Khalid Sumner, was really great because he's also a writer. It was really great in starting every conversation with, take it or leave it. It wasn't like a directive of like, this is what it has to be. My idea is the good idea. This yours is not, it was like, take it or leave it. This is just my thoughts um, based on um, what I read and how I read it. And we would, I, you know, I would call them uh, poker matches or chess games when we would have conversations. Cause there'd be some things I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, there'd be some things I'd be like, uh, but I think I'm in it like this. And I think this should stay like this. Maybe we should just hear it out loud. And there are some things that we would spend the entire conversation going back and forth about until, uh, but, but that's also the great thing about, um, our relationship and collaboration was we would keep going until we found a compromise. So, so that was a great collaboration. And I mean, and that was, that didn't stop when rehearsals began, um, that, and when rehearsals began, I got like 10 other dramaturgs cause you have the director and you have the actors who, you know, and even little things like the last day of rehearsal, um, one of the actresses that was in the show, um, the line was something like, does, do you feel your spine straighten when you choose to shame me? Um, and she was like, quick question can I put a fucking in there? Can I just say, does your fucking spine straighten? And I was like, yes, you can. And just this little things like that, that the actors were like, this will help me get into the zone of where I need to be. And then big things, you know, there was a time after rehearsal, my director, you know, we would stay after and discuss and it would be like, look at this monologue. We can take this line, this line, this line and move it to the end of the show. And because we don't need it right here doesn't serve this moment um it, as a whole it's good but you but without these it'd be so much tighter and cleaner which then you know in a moment like that i look at it and say actually i think we can cut it out completely because i think that we already stated it without stating it later and again coming to those compromises and again good relationships and and understanding that ego because i also could be the type to be like 
no, what I put on the page is what stays on the page. But as a writer, you also have to have the understanding of kind of taking yourself out of it and, and kind of at that point viewing it not as a writer, but as an audience and saying, okay, does this dramatically need to be there? Is this repeating something we've already said? Um, and once you kind of give yourself into the process and realize that no one's telling you you're not talented or good at what you do or anything, they're telling you so that you come off even more talented. Um, they're telling you so because they all want the piece to get to a point that's impressive because all of our names are on the line because of it. Um, so we're all trying to get to the same finish line. And and I think that when actors and, and team sees you willing to do it and willing to cut something that you really enjoy, then kind of a breath is taken because they know they can, they have the space to speak and be honest. Because they're like, well, if he can cut that line that he really loves, then we can ask if we can put a fucking in this line or something um and and this really you know there's a lot and 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 i know we have a lot of conversations about safe spaces and things like that but there's a lot of power in a space where everyone's voice feels valued um and and the work is better because of it um because everyone's again has the same mission of just trying to make the best final product um and I was, we were cutting lines and changing lines the morning of the presentation, an hour before. I was sitting beside my dramaturg being like, do we need this? Do we need this line? Um, and changing words and stuff um, right before an audience came in to see it. So it's always, impr- and I'm still not done with it, is also the thing. Yeah, we had this presentation um, that a lot of great people saw and things are happening from, but I'm not done with it. Um, I'm still talking to my director and he's like, we got to start going back to revisions and workshopping it and changing things. So it's, it's never over. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of how this, this process and how most the ideal process I say would go. Well, we're very excited for you. That's amazing. Congratulations. And uh, just to, now that we've talked about the whole process, will you tell us a little synopsis of what profit and Wiz is about so people can be on the lookout? for it when things happen with it yeah so the final verses of the prophet and whiz kind of is my my chris kind of take on the jesus judas story and you know the kind of thesis statement of the show is what if the jesus judas story was these two black kids um one who's hiding because he's killed somebody um and one who's uh his childhood best friend who goes to a private school um and is trying to go to college and has a lot on the line and what happens when these other outside relationships start to come in for both of them. Um, and that's, you know, the stakes of their future are on the line. Um, and they're both just trying to survive. And, you know, what does it mean to be a quote unquote prophet if you've never been told you can be anything? Um, and how does anyone believe you? You know, you could do magic right in front of them, but because of where you come from and what you are, they might not see it and you might not believe it yourself. And so it's about those things. It's about, kind of the youth of today um, who I I think are forced to be more mature than um, the youth of the past. I can't wait to see that. I will have my ticket for opening night (laughs) on Broadway. I love some of those things that you're exploring because certainly you talking about the youth and maturity, the exposure of what they experience in, in comparison to my goodness, what I dealt with in the eighties and nineties, just Lord, there are so many times I say, I'm so grateful. I was raised when I was raised. I can't imagine dealing with some of the topics, some of the, the judgments, some of the, like, there's just, and so many sides are just so polarizing that coming back to twang when, you know, when you have these 
tender little voices who are trying to shout out for identity and for for value and looking for that affirmation um, that I think we all seek in our youth. Don't we seek to um, to be affirmed, if you will, for who we are? And um, ah, yes, what a beautiful topic to explore. And I love what you were saying about putting ego aside for the sake of art, because I think that's one of the biggest battles when you put so many artists in a room. Um, there can be like this undercurrent of, um, I, I think, I think your visual of a chess match is just a beautiful one of, um, I don't know, there can be a cold war sometimes. Do you ever get that sense when you're in a room, a certain artist with, with Twang, was there anything through your own journey that you were exploring with these characters? Absolutely. I mean, I think that everything I write is just me projecting. Like all of it is just therapy to me. All of it is just me sitting in the chair and, and being like, I'm using a character name, so they'll never know it's me. <laughs> you know, along with the kind of themes that we've already discussed, it's about being an artist and it's about kind of the leaps of faith and risk you have to take to be an artist and, and kind of going away from what you know to try and follow your dreams, even if you have nothing in your back pocket. Um, and just kind of knowing having this feeling inside of you that I think all artists have that you have to have that's like I'm supposed to be doing this I don't know why um I don't know what's going to come of it if anything um I don't know if I'll succeed in whatever success means um to an individual but I'm going to go for it and I'm going to take the risk and I'm going to pride myself as an individual um and 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 value my voice um and and kind of block out anyone or do my best to block out anyone who uh doesn't see it the way I see it um but I and I think that's also a part of it is that you will as an artist as anything whatever you do you're going to encounter people who look at you sideways for what you want to do um and who don't necessarily see the vision like you see it no matter how optimistic you are about it no matter if you offer to take them along for the ride they're like that sounds weird um why would you want to do that and I think that that's as much what the show is about as as anything else is this guy coming in and being like I'm great and I'm going to be, and I'm going to go off and I don't have anything except this guitar, but I'm going to go and I'm going to make it. That, that was where my journey bled out was, was me being, you know, a writer who, a playwright who doesn't have the typical playwriting story or journey, who didn't kind of go through the step-by-step that, that, you're kind of told you have to do and um, coming from places that, that, you know, they don't typically come from. And, um, and, you know, I've gotten some strange looks because of it. Luckily I had a very supportive family and I have an extremely supportive friend group, but um, there are still people who look at you and are like, Oh, that's cute. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> that's great. You know, who's, you know what playwrights really good at law school. Um, so it's, you know, like you, you're going to get those responses from outside people and you're going to get people who don't understand why you do things the way you do things and why you choose to tell the stories you, you choose to do, uh, choose to tell, which I think is why something like this is really great because you have so many writers and none of them are the same and none of the plays are the same. None of the stories or the voices are the same. It's people of different life experiences and ages and races and probably religions and backgrounds and all these things writing very differently. Um, and, and, and that's important to, to see and to show, uh, that there is, there's no one way. Um, even if, you know, you're someone like Cash, who I think that 
Cash is easy to laugh at because he's so enthusiastic and optimistic and believing in himself that you're like, it's got to be a joke. Like this guy with his guitar, like, come on. Um, and yet I, my hope is that by the end, you're like, oh, no, he's just passionate and you're along for it. And you just realize that this is someone who is risking so much and putting so much on the line um risking because again as artists i think what we do is we risk disappointment we risk really big disappointment um there are certain things you go into and and you know you're going to do fine because there's always an open slot for you art is not one of those things creativity is not one of those things um you can spend your whole life creating amazing masterpiece things and no one but you and your spouse see it and- well, you, you have cash sum it up so beautifully and and I think um I think he's not just optimistic but he's very sure I, that's what I got he's like very like not yeah not ego but he's com- confident in a sure way and and the one thing that I just really think anybody who listens to this podcast can relate to is when he said his art is a light to follow and no one can take that away and and that's exactly what, you know, you were just talking about is like, it may seem weird to not have a thing, but when you're guided by that light and that inner passion, right? And then that ties all back into our identity. That light for us to follow is different for everyone. But if you know that no one from outside can take it away, you you can have that cash confidence, it, it feels like. That was, I, I loved, I loved that. I loved so much of his dialogue. Um, and I noticed how musical it was, especially compared to Lucille's. Um, one of my favorite lines, I literally repeated it after, <laughs> after, after the actor. And then I wrote it down cause I loved it so much was, uh, a blonde, blue eyed, baby faced Blake, blonde, blue eyed, baby faced Blake could walk in here. Um, was him being a singer. I'm assuming that was intentional. Um, how did, did, did you hear his voice? Was there a cadence or did you go back and start to add some musicality? Because the, the way the two of them speak is very different. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely intentional, but I think that I always try to have some kind of musicality. You know, before I was a playwright, I was a, I did slam poetry. That was the first kind of thing I did with writing when I was in starting when I was in high school. Um, and, you know, I grew up on, hip-hop music and I grew up on a lot of different kind of music so um and I think that things like that kind of even if you've zoned out from the story catches your attention and brings you back in because of the alliteration because of the musicality of it um and that's also just how I like to write I like to write with a bounce I like to write with a rhythm um because it keeps my attention um but it's definitely intentional with Cash and, and Lucilla and the way that they communicate because um I also like to think about characters in terms of uh musical temperament um and if they were instruments and you know what who's the conductor and who's you know first chair and things like that and i think that you know cash is is definitely a one-man band and he's definitely just taking the music wherever he is it follows like you said about the light um and lucille is 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 maybe hasn't found that music yet um doesn't mean it's not inside of her it doesn't mean that it's not eventually going to come out but uh she's not, the volume isn't up on it. Um, and so hers is a little less rhythmic and a little less. Um, well, you do give us that hope. There's maybe someone turning and I, I see Chrissy nodding. I loved the ending because it was another, you know, 
open ending, but hopeful and you could interpret it many different ways. And so, yeah, we, we, I at least didn't think all hope was lost for Lucille. Um, nosy question. Do you remember what instrument you think she might be or what her musicality was? I think that she, I'm going to speak in genre terms. I think that she is, uh, kind of almost like folk music like folk americana music like she's you can you can change it a little bit but like at the root of it it's very home kind of based very region based um very kind of culture based and it's just you know it has the spots that always has to hit, even if you do it a little differently. Um, cause I, cause he's definitely the type that no matter where she goes, she's, she is from where she's from. Um, and you know, and she probably, you know, hasn't gone too far at this point. So, so it's very much like that. She had some responses to cash that I found really fascinating and interesting, almost like they were little breadcrumbs of her own experience and story probably even with previous cash like people you know especially when it was like oh you're are you gonna change the world <laughs> you know <laughs> i was like i just got the sense like she's heard this before she's heard probably <laughs> probably i don't know just go to like all my high school exes and i'm like oh <laughs> again i think that it's just, it's a bit of projection i think that um, every artist also has a Lucille in them that's telling them, you know, it's the one side that's like, you're doing something great, you're doing something special, you're doing something that's going to change things. And there's the other side of your brain that's like, you're wasting your time. Um, and what are you doing? Are you kidding yourself? You know how many people are saying this right now? Mm. Um, and, you know, it is what it is. I think that we also all have the potential to be either one. I think that personally in my life, um, I could have gone either way. I've worked retail. I've worked warehouse jobs. I've done things that aren't artistic in nature. Um, I, you know, and in uh, in those moments, you're not around people who are even asking you about what you do on your off time. What, you know, they're not like, oh, tell us all about your creativity. They're like, I'm here for eight more hours. Will you shut up? <laughs> like, will you just do your job dude like they don't care they have bills to pay um and and i think that we shouldn't i think it's it's much easier to glamorize an artist or someone like cash than to realize the humanity in a lucille which there are much more of um and who in my opinion deserve much more credit um what do i do i sit in front of a laptop and i type away unless i'm not and i'm you know having a brain fog or something and i'm like oh i can't write this is sad um and you know but there are people who are literally serving us every single day um who uh who don't get recognized who don't get interviewed um and they're monumentally more interesting to me than any artist is um because they live a life um and 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 they're the ones who keep us fed and full and and moving um and that's why kind of my my personal mindset is always to write about people like that um to write about uh the cashiers to write about going back to hands from the fire the the home health aides um because i i i believe the ordinary is extraordinary um because they're the reason we exist they're the reason we have clothes and we have homes and we have tables and electricity and 
drinks and food. Um, that's not artists. Those aren't those aren't playwrights and actors. Those are people who wake up in the morning and and they go out and they do something um, and they keep the planet spinning. Um, so so yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard that quote that we are each other's angels and demons. Have you ever heard that? And one of the things I love about that concept is, you know, we might feel like we're a cash, but to somebody else, we're a Lucille. We might think we're a Lucille, but to somebody else, we are a cash. And where we want to so, you know, define our road as one thing, it up against so many different people. We are so many different things. So that always reminds me to have grace with other people. Um, you know, if someone's really just pestering me for whatever reason, I have to remind myself I am that pestery person to somebody else. So pump your brakes because, you know, like, girl, you're not, you know, you're not immune to that. We, we all we all have that. So that's one of the things I really loved about the contrast between your two characters and their interaction um, was there was just such rich undercurrent and also just knowing as you just discussed and as you said christy both of those people both of those can exist within us within each other at any given time and i think that's such a beautiful skill and and talent that you have chris is you really cut to the humanity of your characters i mean i had so many um philosophical and self-reflective questions after listening to Twang and reading it. And um, your plays always do that. And so thank you for, for being that light in that way. And I would just love to ask, because you mentioned at the start of the podcast that you are working on a few other things. Um, is there anything you want to share that you're super excited about that you're working on right now, even if it's not done? I'm, I'm headed to New Orleans for a week. Um, with a show that's having a few readings uh, down there. And then I have a show in Detroit at the end of this month and then another show in Detroit at the end of next month. And then I have a show at, uh, in, in the city, in New York City, at Playwrights Horizons at the end of next month as well. And then a show in Atlanta at the beginning of July. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot that I'm looking forward to and that I'm really grateful and excited about. So. Oh my, well, I'll have to come see your show at Playwrights. Is it like every place is a different script or do you have any overlap or what are some? No, all those are different shows. Yeah. No, all those Amazing. Shows. I know you're our favorite to interview like because we can ask you a question and you will go in deep. You'll get us the whole answer. It's like it's such a joy talking to you. I know Gary often talks about how much he loved our last interview with you. So um yeah, but I can't well, I mean, that's amazing, all those shows, but I personally am gonna go see your show at Playwrights. <laughs> uh just as we did last time, uh we will pass the metaphorical microphone over to you to like announce any social media handles or websites uh, if you're on New Play Exchange, places that our audience can find you and follow all the updates on your upcoming productions. Yeah, cool. Um, I spend too much time on Instagram and it's, it's where I, when I'm not writing, I'm on Instagram. Um, and, and that's why I post about 
most of the stuff I have going on. So that's at Chris Eli Black, Chris without the H, Black without the C, because although I'm a writer, I can't spell. Um, so <laughs> that um, and I have a website, but don't go on my website. I'm trying to get it, trying to get it better. It's not in the best shape that I want it in right now, but it's there if anyone wants to go look at it. It's a click on it is a big picture of my face. So if you if you want it's that a good face. Listen, listen, we know, we know, as we know, (laughs) mother or grandmother would say, it's a good face, a great face. (laughs) That's your grandfather's face. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And then now it's time for the evil questions. I was going to say last time you told me my first question was evil. So I'm sorry to say, (laughs) I'm sorry to say you get the question again. Okay. Um, But you can have a different answer. Okay. So is there a word in your life right now? It's a word you love to say, you love to hear, you love to write, you love to use. Could be for whatever reason, but just a word. This is evil. This is still evil. <laughs> okay, so it's still an evil question. Yeah, you have maintained the evilness. Um, the oh, actually, I think I don't remember what my answer was last time, but I be, this is most likely different because I've been hearing it a lot, and it's manifest. And I've I've always been kind of a uh, manifest manifest kind of guy about it, but but recently, uh, manifestation has showed its its face to me. Um, it's very nice face to me. Um, and you know, I've received plenty of, plenty of text messages and and emails and things, um, with the word manifest in them. Um, and it, it seems like it's working. So I'm going to say manifest is the word. Perhaps a new play soon coming to you soon. Manifest. Manifest. With my, in my announcer voice. Manifest. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I don't think the next question was as evil. Um, is there a favorite, most loved, adored, nostalgic place that you have? It could be in your life. It could be in a play. You can choose to interpret it however you like. But a, a favorite setting or place. My favorite, a favorite setting or place in my life. Um, the first thing that came to mind was my grandparents' house because they've lived in the same house since I was a a toddler. Um, so like any time, you know, it's like going on a time machine. Um, it, you know, I still have the same room upstairs, and it's you know has they don't throw away anything. So I, like all my childhood drawings and and things are still there, and you know. Um, and so, you know, toys and, and stuff like that. So it really is just like going back into my childhood and, and, and kind of realizing the things that were so different then that that are different now. Because, you know, then I was like, this is the biggest bed I've ever slept in. And now I'm like, this is just a bed. Um, it's still pretty big, though. Um, but so, yeah, like that, my grandparents' house is is definitely nostalgic because it it hasn't it hasn't really changed. I mean, like the furniture has changed. They've got new floors, you know, things like that. But like the heart of it is is all still there. So it's it it just feels like being three again. Part of your identity. Exactly. 
All right. Final question. Is there an, an item in your life that, um, it, and it could be, it could be something random, but it's something precious to you. It's, it's almost the level of if my house were on fire, I'm going to grab it or, or it, it's one of those things. If it's missing, you know, you know, it's missing. Oh, it's today. This feels like even more of an evil question. Um, <laughs> The evil grows over time. Yeah. It's not it's not a stagnant thing. An expansion, yeah. Taking um, this in a new direction. Yeah. <laughs> Always innovating on lights up. I don't because I'm not like extremely. I don't know. I would say probably, huh? Okay, I have two answers. I have like the sweet answer and like the oh god answer. The sweet answer is probably would find a picture of my family because I, I, I always travel with, with pictures, I, I, some kind of family thing. Um, but the, Oh God answer is my laptop, not the laptop I'm on now. Cause I got a new one because my old one was just like giving up on life. Um, but I would grab the old one before this new one. Um, because I don't know, it was like, it was my first, it was my first laptop and it, I had it still have it for years um i wrote my first play on it um i've written until this year all my plays on it so it it's kind of it's kind of special it's my you know it it means a lot to me it's it's old it's a senior citizen now and it will no longer (laughs) gets a discount it gets a discount the l the o and the nine key will not work unless you hold it in a very specific position that I never get right. unless I'm lucky. Um, it's just, it's a big boxy thing and it's just, but it, you know, it did its job. It did what it needed to do for a long, long time. It was, a, it was at one point a few years ago, it just like went out and it's like pieced out. And I was like, what is happening? And then one day it just came back on late, a few months later and it was like the date was wrong. The time was wrong, but it's a battery. It was wild. Um, so it's been fighting. It's been fighting for a while. Um, but I finally, um, I'm just letting it live out the rest of his days. I'm resting um, and kind of now working with its new uh, younger <laughs> succeeder. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would say those things. Um I want to say how you describe that laptop is almost makes it as, as sweet of an answer as grabbing a family photo. So it's not the oh god answer. And it really does. As you were describing the like oh the L the nine key, I was like, I think he did. That was your same answer last time too. It was. <laughs> I should really tell you how much you should grab that laptop if there's ever a fire. I just don't know questions. You know what to do. I'm consistent. I'm consistent. I don't change up. I'm loyal. I'm loyal. Grandparents' house, laptop. Let's go. I love how last time, thank you, Gary, for letting us know last time I did not mention my family at all. I was like, they picture of my family house can burn down i need this laptop (laughs) there's a picture of your family saved on the laptop there you go i don't think there is but we'll go with it (laughs) (laughs) there are plenty of pictures of me on that laptop i don't think there's any of my family well you are an intelligent funny and nostalgic heartwarming guest and playwright and man we love having you so thank you for coming back and being on season four chris thank you
Lights Up is a podcast produced by the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga, a 501c3 nonprofit independent theatre company located in southeast Tennessee. Lights Up is hosted by Christy Gallo and Dana Colagiovanni. Sound by Eric Red Wyatt. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, copied, or presented without the expressed written consent of the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga. The plays presented on this podcast are protected by all national and international copyright laws. If you are interested in producing any of the plays featured on Lights Up, contact us and we will get you in touch with the playwright. If you would like your play considered for a future episode or would like to be an actor or reader, please shoot us a message at lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. As a nonprofit, ATC relies on donations and the goodwill of patrons and supporters like you. If you would like to make a one-time donation to ETC, please visit our website for details. You can also support us by giving us a like and rating this podcast. this program, Humanities Tennessee is able to provide $941,454 to 91 organizations throughout the state. The purpose of SHARP grants is to support jobs in the humanities, keep humanities organizations open, and assist the field in its response to and recovery from the needs created or exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. These grants may focus on humanities projects or leveraging operational support stemming from the devastating impact of the coronavirus pandemic. They may also help organizations plan for the future and begin the long process of response and recovery to the pandemic. ETC and the Lights Up podcast would like to thank Humanities Tennessee and the National Endowment for the Humanities for this amazing opportunity.